Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, episode 26. This is Writing Excuses in space! 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard, and I have a rocket ship. We're going to do space opera today. Yay! Yay! Finally! Finally! Um, this is what happens when um, you have a, an epic fantasy writer in charge of the podcast and topics. We end up ignoring <laughs> science fiction for way too long. Um, so we're going we're gonna to delve into this. We, we really haven't done very many science fiction subgenres, and so we're going to tackle the biggest of them today, space opera. Why do they call it space opera, and what does that even mean? I wish I knew, because I call myself an online comic space yes, opera. Yes, you do. It's in your like tagline or something. I, I do that mostly because um, I know it's not comic opera, Right. Uh, but I managed to get both of those words in the tagline. Um, I think Mary's like looking at Wikipedia I or something. I totally am. According to Wikipedia, the phrase space opera itself was coined in 1941 by fan writer and later author Wilson Tucker in a fanzine article as a pejorative term. Uh, <laughs> well, wait, and is this the same Wilson Tucker who is responsible for being Tuckerized? Yes, yes, probably. Yes. Wow. You know, I've always re- kind of disliked the term space opera, and now I can relate back to its roots and yes. say it's because it was pejorative. Yeah, well, and it was originally based on the idea of soap operas, yeah. that, that this was something that was melodramatic and mm-hmm. overblown, but happened in space. Right. Well, um, I think that the term was, you know, used as a pejorative by hard science fiction authors who mm-hmm. consider anything that is not hard science to be a lesser form of art anyway. I suppose that's probably true, and that sentiment is still around. Um, for those listening who are just kind of baffled by this, space opera is um, what you probably think of when you think of most immediate science fiction sort of stories. These are the stories that happen in space that are primarily about the characters, um, where the science, it's there, but it, it almost sometimes works like magic. Star Trek. Star is... Trek is space opera. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, despite the fact that Gene Roddenberry swore up and down he was trying to do hard science fiction in space, it really was well, hard science fiction. He was trying to do hard science fiction. It was really space opera. Uh, Star Wars is space opera that blurs the line into fantasy. Buck Rogers and these sorts of things are like the, the quintessential over-the-top space operas. They mm-hmm. don't have to be over-the-top. In fact, most of our space opera these days is not going to be over-the-top. It's adventure fiction that um, it has a science fiction setting. Yeah, yeah even the, the Alien movies would be yes. space opera, even though they, they are framed a little more realistically or plausibly right. than, than uh, Star Trek. Aliens is definitely but, uh, military science fiction. Yeah. Well, definitely. Well, and this is, this is where, it, mm-hmm. um, this, as we are demonstrating yes. right yes. now, the line is very fuzzy. As with many of our genres, yeah. that you can have elements of space opera yeah. or military SF blending, but because they have common roots, yeah. it's hard to 
say where one stops. You know, I love the begins. things that we've we've cited as an example because mm -hmm. uh, years and years ago, I I I might have been ten. Uh, my dad had, and I still have, a collection of Buck Rogers newspaper comics, mm. and I remember flipping through that and being very frustrated that it was a treasury and not a complete collection. Ah. There were some complete stories in there, but there were cliffhangers that never got resolved. Oh, oh mm. it was it was bad. I, I'm ready to go out and spend $300 on the complete Buck Rogers just so I have them. Not because, not because I am today anxious to read those stories, but because I know there's this landmine on my bookshelf that one of my children might discover. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and I, I need them to have the whole stories. But I, I read those, and I remember thinking, wow, this is awesome. How come the newspaper doesn't have anything this cool in it? Is Fast forward 25 years, um, I read books by Lois McMaster Bejold. I read books by Orson Scott Card, books by Larry Niven. Uh, fascinated by, and actually I got those in reverse chronological order, mm. but I was fascinated with science fiction. When the time came, uh, when I discovered webcomics, uh, I looked at Buck Rogers as the model and looked at the great uh, military and space opera writers of the last three generations for content and sat down and created something that uh, I want to say is uniquely my own. I borrow heavily. I've said before... Mm -hmm. um, I, <laughs> I've said before that if I pee far, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> There, but it's space opera. Fundamentally, Schlock Mercenary is space opera at its yeah. roots. So, Whatever else it is. So what are the pieces that when you were saying, okay, I'm going to set it up. Yeah. What are the pieces that... Make something. Make something space opera. Yeah. The, the pieces that you, you know, that are the recognizable genre hallmarks. Um, I look at character drama and travelogue. I want okay. to go to new and interesting places. I want to throw unexpected aliens in. I mean, th these were my goals at, in the very beginning. Um, was uh, almost like Star Trek, only I wanted to, you know, because I'm drawing pictures instead of paying an expensive special effects budget, um, I wanted to do, you know, more interesting alien planets. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I've gotten lately so focused in character stories and bigger stories that we just don't travel all that much. Mm. But every time I do a new story, one of the first things I look at is, what is a cool place we could go? You know, let's do a shopping mall in a an, you know 800-year-old space station that still rotates for gravity, and it rotates for gravity because... because and this is, this is my thinking process as I'm creating the story. Um, it rotates for gravity because it's historical mm. and it's a it's a shopping mall built on a museum um and and so as as i start doing this i, I think well okay that i now have a fantastic setting now we need to do all of the fun things that we would do there which mostly amounts to parkour mm -hmm. in low gravity rotating reference frame environments so here's here's a question for you is a dividing line between space opera and hard science fiction that for space opera you come up with what you want to have happen and then come up with science to explain it? Is that, what, <laughs> is that your process? This would be cool. Let's see if I can come up with some science. The, oh boy, you know what? When you look at which side of the cart the horse is on, what mm -hmm. you're act, actually looking at is a long, it is a long chain of carts and horses and, uh -huh. and a big 
I, with uh, with the rotating reference frame and parkour, um, I came up with the rotating reference frame first. I thought, let's do a shopping mall in space that rotates. Um, and then I thought, well, you know, if it's got an open galleria, like some of the big shopping malls I've been in, and the gravity is low, then you would have kids jumping off the balconies. That would be bad because the rotating frame is, is or the reference frame is rotating, and it wouldn't behave like, oh, oh. And then, yeah, there's, right. there's hard science in there. As I start looking at what does your trajectory look like? See, you because know, there's going to be people who say, Shockmore scenario is hard science fiction. And I do my very best not to disabuse them of that notion. <laughs> uh, the big difference between me and what I consider the true hard science fiction is that when I look at the physics behind, uh, the, the physics, the equations behind, for instance, um, an event horizon, I can't read the math. I go find somebody to read it to me. I'm, I'm going to um, quote something that John Scalzi says, who mm-hmm. I think arguably writes yeah. a, something that is between space opera and uh, military SF. And he says that he does his world building on only two questions deep, mm. which I think does get into the, this is a cool thing that I want to have happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the, here's a science thing. What can I do with the science thing? Yeah, and that's, that's when I approach science fiction, it's always, ooh, here's something cool I want to have happen. Um, I don't write hard science fiction. I do enjoy reading some hard science fiction. Uh, the difference, I'm trying to divide this in our heads for our readers because it seems like space opera versus hard science fiction is kind of one of these big dividing lines in um, science fiction, as big as you can get in a genre that is so fluid. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, let's take a moment for a book of the week. Uh, my favorite uh, military-themed space opera is the uh, Vorkosigan series by Lois McMaster Bajold. And I think, yeah, I'm torn as to where to start, but The Warrior's Apprentice is a hard one to go wrong with. 
Mm -hmm. uh, it's where Warrior, I started on her books. Warrior's Apprentice by Lois McMaster Bejold um, is the story of a brilliant, crippled uh, scion of an important family uh, who finds himself in a situation where he needs to create a mercenary company. Yep. And, and gets in way over his head. Gets in way over his head and... Um, and becomes awesome. Yeah, that's. I mean, it is. It is truly space opera. Um, though some of these things we say paint a kind of military veneer on it, like you you do. Yep. But this is like the the quintessential example of a great space opera. Yep. You can pick it up for free if you go out to audiblepodcast.com/slash/excuse. Start a thirty day trial membership. Uh, and like I just said, grab this for free. And anything else you grab in the thirty days is thirty percent off. Now, I would say that um, with space opera, the thing that is drawing me to it, when I pick up something that's a good space opera, I'm looking for adventure fiction. Yes, a romp. I'm looking for, and it, it can be serious. It doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, Lois's books, for instance, are v very serious at times. Very good character interaction. Um, there's a lot of depth to Miles and the people around him. But at the end of the day, I'm picking it up because... This is going to have some fun elements. It's going to be an adventure. Um, we are going to see interesting things. We are going to have battles. We are going to have all this stuff um, that is fun. And I like to read things that are fun. Mm -hmm. And so I'm with you. I'm if, with um, you. if I'm going to give one piece of advice to listeners, if you want to write science fiction like this, and as we've mentioned before, we do think that there is um, a science fiction wave perhaps coming. Um, don't, don't listen to us too strongly on this um, <laughs> especially not since we recorded this in july of 2012 yes and you're listening to this in we don't um, actually yeah, know because we, we don't know it involved doing math january-tober yeah. of <laughs> 2013 but um a lot of the films coming out are very popular are, are space mm -hmm. opera-ish um, and we, there's something, we just love this adventure fiction in space is this great unexplored area. There's so much to do here. Um, I think it's going to make a resurgence. And even if it isn't, good stories told well will always sell. Um, so if you're looking to do space opera, make it adventuresome. You're looking for fun. You're looking for interesting. You want to, you want to try and stretch a little bit and tell some new stories on different planets and places you could visit. Yeah, the one thing that I would encourage you to do if you're going to write if you're going to write any sort of science fiction, is to read science. Mm. Um, I mean, reading science fiction is good, uh, but if you have no, no steeping, no background in science, uh, you're reading science fiction, it's sometimes hard to tell uh, when they're basing stuff on real physics and when right. they're basing stuff on uh, you know, wild postulation or just straight-out hand-wavium. Um, yeah, any, any of the science periodicals, there's plenty of science articles online. Learn to read those things and, and dig in. And at the end of the article, especially if it's an article about a new technology, at the end of the article, start asking questions about, you know, what does this look like 100 years from now? Mm. What will make this technology obsolete? Uh, you know, what will this technology be replaced by? And mm. the stories start to come, and you're a, you, you quickly become able to using Scalzi's method of only asking, you know, questions uh, too deep, uh, you're quickly able to flesh out your universe and... Mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend a, a book by Michio Kaku, which is Physics of the Impossible, in which he takes various science fiction tropes like faster than light travel, mm -hmm. plasma cannons and all of these, and looks at how they would really work. Um, 
and and it's a very good book to kind of use as your jumping off point for exploring wider. Um, the other thing that I'm going to recommend is if you can sign up for a, a 101 class in astronomy. Uh. It's incredibly helpful for when you need to figure out. So how long is it going to take me to travel from point A to point B? Because unfortunately, as much as we are talking about all of this, modern readers do want more science. Well, and you the, can get away with some, but the um, space opera does not mean without science. Yes. Um, yeah. Granted, you can write some like Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon, would just ignore the science completely. But the best space operas of the recent eras are those that say, "Look, I am space opera, but let's put it. Let's let's try and be as realistic as possible with the idea that adventure and story comes first, and then we're going to get to it." Howard is a great example of this. You do put in the science when it doesn't interfere with the story. Yep. <laughs> you put in the science. One of the fun things that uh, uh, my friend Bob uh, Bob Defendi uh, shared with me is that uh, say you've got you've got two spaceships, and both of them are capable of accelerating to significant percentages of the speed of light, and they've departed. Uh, oh, let's say they've departed, you know, within a day of each other, and they have, you know, four days of travel, and the one ship wants to catch the other ship. The likelihood of anybody being able to pull that off, even if they're cooperating between the two ships, is fantastically low because, and then he started going into the math and showing how, you know, at this point in time, their relative velocities are, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles per hour different. They're quite close, but the passage is going to go so fast that you're going to miss it. Um, and I started looking at that, looking at that math and thinking, well, I need to build that into a story. I need to, and so our, you know, following the Mall 1 Parkata Urbatsu, I had our heroes taking off and them being chased, and everybody needs to meet up, and it's just not going to happen that way. Um, and these are the sorts of things that are fun to explore. Um, now, if you put AIs in charge of both ships, um, uh, yeah, maybe you can pull it off, but the accelerations are going to be really crazy. Uh, and yes, yeah, some of that is hard science fiction, but once you start rolling it into a fun adventure story, and don't trouble us with the math. Just explain to us that the mm -hmm. math is complicated. Give a nod to it um, and tell a fun adventure story. Uh, that's at the heart of good space opera. If, if you were writing YA science fiction and YA space opera, I, I'm really curious as to how much science your audience demands or even wants. One of the things that uh, really surprised me when I published Partials, which I was kind of feeling bad about because it didn't have a ton of science in it was that the audience reaction was, oh, wow, a science fiction book with actual science in it. In, in, the, in the YA market, Partials is like hard SF because, <laughs> because it just, they don't tend to do that. You know, dystopias, while being science fiction, don't go into the science. They don't explain you know, let me go Let me go biblical on you for a moment. The... Uh, the proverb, I, I'm not going to go especially accurately biblical, strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Okay? Give people gnats to strain at and get those gnats exactly right. Uh, you know, simple stuff, accelerations, uh, specific gravities, you know, mass of water versus mass of lead versus mass of gold. Get those things right and then people will swallow your hyperdrive hole. 
they will. The Annie plants in Schlock Mercenary, the only thing I've said about them is that they use neutronium for fuel, and it is not matter-antimatter, it is matter-annihilation. Uh, we annihilate matter, and we derive energy directly. I am not digging any further into that, because the <laughs> moment I do, we start having considerations of materials and expense and things that... Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got outer considerations on those. You know, I know that they are expensive to build. I know that the bigger they are, uh, there's... There's an economy of scale uh, that that you know makes them increasingly valuable and increasingly harder to build. But I'm not digging inside them because somebody's going to tell me, "Oh, you've forgotten about the the actual minuscule mass of the neutrinos. Mm. Where do those end up? I don't know." <laughs> and, and it I doesn't matter the for the, the day, story you're telling. Almost. Yeah. Th this is kind of the dirty secret of science fiction. Every science fiction book, even the hard science fiction has to, at the end of the line, say, I don't know. Um, this is something that we, we don't talk about a lot, but the actual physics of getting out of our solar system, let alone, you know, to... Um, I mean, I saw Stephen Hawking do an, uh, a thing on it once that said, well, okay, we love science fiction, the physics of it don't make sense. I, I'm going to stop you right okay. there, because your definition of science fiction is way the heck too broad when you say that any science fiction is going to run into that problem. Well, no, but here's the thing. It's fiction. Yes. At the end of the day, we have the, the difference between fiction and nonfiction is us saying, we don't know, but we think. Or that yes. this could be, but we're not sure. Yes, but, but your initial posit is that science yeah. fiction involves getting out of the solar system. Okay, yeah, there is that. Okay, any science fiction... <laughs> no, you, you, you make, it, you make yeah. a good point. The moment we, we haven't explored outside right. the solar system. We don't know what sorts of things... Uh, we're already discovering things with the telescopes. We've just got pointed at the sun. Well, you know, though, we're I, I mean, I'm trying, trying to make a point, though, and Mary's right to force me to qual quantify it. Science fiction dealing with um, any, anything, any science fiction dealing with space, mm -hmm. um, at, at some fundamental level, you have to, the hard science fiction has to become soft yeah. at some point. Yes. Um, it's just where with. you decide to go soft. And that's a very good way to define it because cyberpunk on world is going to be very different and near future social science fiction is going to be very different. But if you're leaving the solar system, by our current understanding of science, you have to go soft. And so yeah. someone, even the hardest of hard science fiction writers, are going soft at some point. It just depends on where along the line. Yeah. Do we All need right. a writing prompt? We do need a writing prompt. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh. You oh, said no, no, that no, was a key yeah. yeah. Okay. The okay. Here, 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 here's a writing prompt for you. You uh, uh, posit a faster-than-light drive that uh, no one else has ever thought of. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Ryan Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.